Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings... Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. It's the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran. And I'm Dave Selecki. This week, we have Deputy Race Director for Moto America, Walter Walker, on the show with us. We look forward to talking to him. Moto America, as you know, is now a proud sponsor of Pit Pass. We enjoy having them as a sponsor, and I enjoy attending races with them. Upcoming this very weekend, we have Road America Hashtag 2, the second race at Moto America this season, this time with fans and this time also including Vintage Moto Fest. They're combining the two events to make one super event up in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. If you have a moment, if you have the weekend off, get out there, go check it out. The vintage stuff is insanely cool on top of Moto America's already deep and diverse competition calendar for the weekend. You're gonna see many, many classes of motorcycles headlined, of course, by the 190 mile an hour plus super bikes at Road America. You get to watch them do that actual speed and it's insane when the pack goes by at 190. Get there, watch it live. They'll have super sports, they'll have super stock 1000. There's Twins Cup. There's uh, the, the lightweight class with the up and coming racers racing on 300s and 400 equivalent bikes. Moto America just puts on one heck of a show. There's going to be stunt shows. There's going to be live bands. There's an arm wrestling tournament. So much to do and see at that track. The food is amazing. The drinks are amazing. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have some great weather. So get out there to Road America and check it out this very weekend. And if you can't for some reason, by all means, get on any of the many ways you can watch this stuff live online. Moto America Live Plus is the app I have on my phone, so I can watch everything from qualifying throughout the whole weekend live. It's wonderful. Just go to MotoAmerica.com. You'll find all the different ways you can get to them. Also, you've got NBCSN coverage. They're all over the place. Uh, They've done a wonderful job getting our sport out in front of you, the fans. So... Go out and check them out. This weekend's going to be awesome. Now, here's the latest news in the industry. All right, PJ, we've got tons of racing to talk about. We had the Supercross wrap-up Sunday night. Three classes were decided, so I don't even know where to start, PJ. There's so much to talk about. Well, But we'll start with the 250 series, and that one just was loaded with carnage. It started in the qualifiers and rolled into the to the final event. Guys going at it because you've got the 250 East class meeting the 250 West class and all of those guys fighting for a place on the final gate. So just amazing to watch. Start with the 250 East series. There was a pretty much a run-of-the-mill qualifier race for that. 
Sexton went on to win, but uh, there was, or excuse me, went on to second place. He got into it with one of the star racing guys, Colt Nichols, who crossed him on a on a jump and took him out. I think Nichols ended up with a broken arm out of the the uh, transaction, but Sexton was managed, uh, even though he crashed hard, he was able to get back on the track and finish second. That's where it started. It was a pretty epic race, and that's what uh, got them into the final final moto. 250 West, same thing happened. Uh, the series leader, Dylan Ferrandis, who was carrying the number one plate, got into his heat race to get to the final main event and crashed out in the second turn and ended up dead last. Had to make the main through the LCQ, which he did well. He went out and hole shot and won the, won the race, so he made the final. So that really set the table for that 250 East-West shootout that just really the, the battling on the track was amazing. We lost one main competitor. Austin Forkner went down hard early in the race and caused a red flag. So uh, our guy who's been on the show, uh, McElrath, who had pulled the whole shot with an early lead, ended up uh, leading early and getting a red flag. That's the second time this season that's happened to him. But uh, so they reset, went back on the gate, and uh, Chase Sexton pulled the whole shot and won his title. So in the 250 series, we had Sexton defending his 250 East title and taking the number one plate. And Dylan Ferrandis, who finished up fourth for the uh, for the evening, ended up defending his 250 West title. So two repeat guys in the 250 class. It was pretty amazing. That deal with Fortner was kind of painful, right? I mean, he ended up losing second place in the title chase. He did lose a position. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he went down hard. And I searched the internet for, you know, kind of status where he's at. I've heard everything from broken arm to broken collarbone or worse, but uh, he was able to get up and walk off the track, which was good news. But, you know, he's he's a guy that was going to line up for the outdoors and really contend. And really, that pro circuit team is decimated now. They're down to one rider who is uh, Cameron McAdoo because Marchbanks went down in the last event. So really, that 250 class really came down to the wire, and it was a lot of battling, a lot of bad blood. So uh, when the outdoor season starts, which is in July – it's going to be real interesting to see when those guys all line up and are giving each other the stink eye on the starting line. Yeah, there's going to be some fireworks at that first event, I have to imagine. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that was uh, quite an epic event to watch. And really, the the night show, the 450 class, was the one I really look forward to. And we predicted it earlier this year. Our guy Tomac was able to uh, bring the title home and win his first Supercross title, finally, after so many attempts. There were so many firsts that came out of that event. He was the first guy to win the title after starting his fifth season in Supercross. He is the oldest to win the class at 27 years old for his first time out. And he's the first father to win the Supercross title, which is really, that's an amazing stat when you think back how long Supercross has been around. We talked about it before, 1972 when it started. He's the first father to win the series. It's a young man's sport, so that's just uh, proof in the pudding. And there he goes and wins it on Father's Day, and he's just recently become a father. So kind of a neat side story for Eli Tomac to pull that off. But uh, he didn't have a spectacular main event. You know, he started okay, kind of worked his way up, passed a few guys, got up to about fifth place, didn't need to win the event. He just had to score more points to kind of build that cushion between him and Cooper Webb, who Cooper Webb also had a pretty awful main event, as did uh, Ken Roxon, who kind of led early and crashed, ended up picking up and uh, finishing up uh, seventh. So 
the amazing thing to me was watching these uh, the rock star Husqvarna team sweep the podium. You had three Husqvarnas on on the on the lead. How about that, PJ? Yeah, it's that's insane. Osborne, Anderson, Wilson, right? Yep, whole, Wilson led the whole early, podium. And, uh, and Anderson did it without a seat, which I thought was quite an amazing feat. Whoever tightens the bolts on his bikes is probably going to be talked to this morning to figure out what went wrong there. Anderson's, uh, you know, he's he's not known to go easy on a motorcycle, so I imagine he probably uh, helped that seat disconnect from the motorcycle before the end of the race. Eli Tomac, all hats off to him. I'm a longtime fan. We talk about him often, and I didn't want to jinx him, and he closed it out, so couldn't be happier for the guy. Uh, the other big news, if you ask me, was Reed's final race, right? It was Chad Reed, final professional race, supposedly. And how about that? The guy finished 10th in his final race. He's uh, 37 years old or 38 years old. I'd have to fact check that. But uh, yeah, what a story. And uh, he kind of hinted at the, not this race, but the race prior last Wednesday that he was possibly going to come back next year. But I imagine uh, he's he's thinking select events just to, um, you know, make it extra special just for him. What a great career. What a great story. The guy is class all the way. And everybody speaks highly of him. And uh, for him to finish 10th in his final Supercross, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, he'll be missed in the sport. Hopefully he does continue to come out and do uh, a few select events. I'm sure he's going to be sought after for the potential next microphone job. He'd be the guy you'd want doing it. Uh, He's loved by everyone, a very well-spoken and very intelligent guy. So he's fun to talk to. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, and I hope, who knows, I hope he fleshes that whole idea out. So so we have the culmination. We have uh, two repeats in the 250 class and a new 450 Supercross champion, but what season would not be complete without a little bit of controversy after the event? Star Racing, who uh, ended up losing the title to uh, Chase Sexton in the 250 East class, ended up protesting Geico for fuel. So... Somebody knew something, nobody's saying anything, but uh, apparently they suspect that the Geico team was running oxygenated fuel and uh, they put up the money and they called them out on it. So potentially you may see a change in that final standings in the 250 East, depending on how the AMA rules. They have to go through a testing process where they prove out the accusation and take it from there. But, uh, you know, kind of puts a damper on things a little bit for Chase Sexton, who Honestly, was the strongest rider in the class. I thought Mick Elrath was going to be, but uh, I, he didn't have that little bit extra to, to, to keep up with him, and Sexton was stronger at the end of the day. And really, those star bikes are amazing, so it just kind of goes to show you how much stronger Sexton is as a rider to beat Shane that easily. Who knows? We may know in the next few days how that really shakes out. That's where things stand so far. So really, an epic night of racing and really... Just to see Tomac smile and the fact that uh, his dad was there with him, I think it was a great moment in sports. Really, I want to share this fact that Supercross is the first professional sport to complete its series in the COVID era. So that's kind of a little asterisk on the record book that they were able to do that. Yeah, and it's been an impressive display by uh, the whole crew that puts on our Supercross series, the Monster Energy Supercross series. They did an amazing job to come up with a workable plan and get racers doing what they did, meet all their contractual obligations. I mean, 
as you pointed out, there's a lot of sports that have not figured this out and potentially aren't going to. Yeah, and one of the side things that's come out of that is discussion of changing the format for the series in the future. So everybody on the teams, the riders, they really enjoy this format where they're in a city for a period of time and compete in multiple events. We might see Supercross, maybe outdoor motocross, maybe other forms of racing evolve into this format where they can take advantage of being on location. Because as we know, uh, it's not easy to build a Supercross course inside a stadium and do it every week, week in and week out for 17 weeks. That's not an easy undertaking by any stretch. Yes, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Of course, road racing, it's a weekend event. Events begin on Friday, wrap up Sunday afternoon, and it gives fans a lot of options. They can come for one day, multiple days, all the days you get to choose. And I think it, yeah, could totally make sense. That'll be interesting to see if they're able to implement something like that. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually didn't think about is from the spectator perspective, the ability to choose your day versus, you know, you have to hone in on that one day, get there and get out and everybody at the same time where you can spread it out and choose the day of the event that you want to go to. And I think road racing sets a great example by having the the major classes compete on two days rather than just one day. So that's a good format. You know, maybe that's something that they can call and turn into something they use in the future. Who knows? Just a, a lot of buzz around the industry that the, as you said, that uh, Feld and the AMA and, and the teams, they, they really set a good example and did it right. And the the riders and the teams are big fans of it. I think ultimately for, for uh, sanctioning organizations and, and such, they need to find a way to monetize that, obviously, because that is ultimately what drives the sport or supports the sport so that it can take place. But, you know, if they could figure that out, that would be an interesting take on, on how to do the format going forward. And, hey, who, who wouldn't like to go to a two-, three-, four-day event of racing? Absolutely. I mean, motocross, the motocross season has a little more of that feel, right? The, the outdoor season, if you're an avid fan, you can go camp out or go spend two days watching races at whatever race you choose to go to. It's, it's a possibility. Yeah, and like a lot of the outdoor events, they tie an amateur event to the professional event by allowing them to race the day after. It's pretty typical of an outdoor national to have amateurs on Sunday after the pros have raced on Saturday. So you get the excitement of uh, an amateur riding the pro course and uh, riding the same course that you just saw, you know, your your Eli Tomax and and Dylan Ferrandez go, go quickly around on the day before. So that's kind of a neat way to hook people in. And you're right, spend the weekend, camp out, and, and just enjoy the, the event instead of rushing in and rushing out. So... I think that's kind of a cool way to to approach it. And then who knows? I think uh, this is all uh, fertile ground for ideas. And uh, who knows what it's going to morph into in the future with this uh, COVID thing that's affected everybody from everyday life to professional sporting events. Well, thanks for all the news, Dave. It's been a wonderful way to wrap up a Supercross season. And we look forward to the outdoors now. Yes, we do. Those are going to start soon. July 17th and 18th at Ironman Raceway. And 
Okay, the Pit Pass trivia question this week is really one we're going to have a lot of fun with, I think. So let me read the question, and then we'll talk about the answer later on in the show and, as I said, have some fun with it. As a racer, when you're transporting your race bikes, we often get the three questions when we're spotted at a gas station or you're stopped for food or whatever. What are those three questions? More about that later on in the show. All right, welcome to Pit Pass today. Walter Walker, race official, or am I saying that right? What would you say your official title is, Walter? And welcome to Pit Pass. Oh, well, thanks, guys. Um, well, it depends on which, uh, you know, which, which company I work for we're talking about. CMRA, it's uh, director of competition. With uh, Moto America, it's uh, deputy race director. So that puts you as the man responsible for what happens on the track. Is that an accurate description of your job? Pretty much. Uh, pretty much. It's a combination of a lot of different things. Basically just managing the race day, you know, the schedules and, you know, keeping us on time. And So, Walter, how did you find yourself in this position? I presume that you, at some point in your history, might have been a racer yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like most people in this, in this sport, we started out riding bikes ourselves, and my dad bought me a, a Sears mini bike when I was, you know, I guess I was probably five years old and he, uh, brought that thing home. My mother just about divorced him over it. And it, it kind of went from there. I got into, you know, racing motocross and flat track and that sort of stuff. As I got older and I got into road racing and started working with the CMRA to, to kind of help pay for that racing. My, my wife was working for him before I was and to help pay for my racing. And then it just sort of morphed into stopped racing, but didn't want to get out of the sport and you know, started uh, working as official, worked my way up and ended up what I'm doing today. So do you coordinate? I mean, I'm sure there's a million things that you are literally doing every race weekend, regardless of which of the orgs organizations you're working for. Are you responsible for things like coordinating with the flag crew, that kind of stuff, or is that completely done outside of your purview? With CMRA, I mean, it's honestly, honestly, it's everything from managing as far as signing up, you know, workers and that sort of stuff prior to the event, all the way up to working with our my race control guy to, to actually manage those those marshals and then the, our staff during the events, and then at the the Moto America events, I'm. As deputy race director, I'm also the chief communicator, so I'm managing all the communications between race direction, which is the race director, the safety officer, and the uh, riders rep, managing those communications through to our track communicator who handles communicator who handles the marshals and flaggers and handlers and EMS rescue and recovery and all that sort of stuff. It's it's a it's organized confusion, I guess, is probably the best description. <laughs> the it thing. always is. That's uh, that's racing in general, I think, Walter. I was kind of curious. Uh, you've also mentioned in your in some bio information that we've read about you that you've done tech also at probably all types of events. Oh, everything. And that, that's actually where I started out. That was the first job that I did for CMRA back in probably, oh man, I want to say like 98, I think. I, I volunteered to help out as a tech inspector. And, and from there, it just went on. I mean, I was a tech inspector. I was I was uh, chief steward. I was uh, pit out guy. I was starter. I was uh, assistant race director for CMRA. And then 
I, I sort of got forced to take over as, as race director. The guy was Charles Brothers was the, the, the man before me. And he just came to me one day and said, hey, you're it. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. <laughs> and and um, I, I told him, no, I'm not about six more times over the, the course of the next few weeks. But he wouldn't take no for an answer. And, and uh, here we are. Never stopped from there. So I'm kind of curious in all those years of uh, managing tech, as we know, racers can be a little bit creative with the rules when it comes to uh, establishing their race vehicle. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to ask you, what's the, what's the most uh, interesting violation that you uh, discovered on a race vehicle over the years? Wow. You know, there's, there's, there's so many, but one of the, one of the weirdest, weirdest things that this was after I got out of tech, but this was just a few years ago. We have a, a series with CMRA, one of our one of our series within a series. One of the the things that's not done a lot anymore in road racing is we we do a Le Mans start for that that particular race event. And the with Le Mans start, you have a, a handler, a crew member, or the second rider, whatever, holding the bike. Um, and then the riders, the actual rider that's going to start the race, has to run across the track when the flag falls or the lights go out and, and mount the machine, start up, start it himself and take off. Well, you know, the engine has to be off for the, the, per, the person that's holding the bike, that's holding it from the tail section. We had a team that got creative and they installed a starter button underneath the tail section. So the mechanic that was holding the bike, start the bike right before the rider got to it. So to save a little time, get him a good start. So I, we, we, we caught that this, this team got a good start. Like, was the first one off the line every time for the, the first couple of first three of those that I think that we did and got to take a look at the bike and just really watch it. And I, I just happened to notice the thing started up before the rider actually got on the bike. Um, that was, uh, that was probably the most creative. Um, so was that a creative, uh, interpretation of the rules? It never said that the starter button had to be on the handlebar. It, it just had to be on the vehicle. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, and that's exactly what, that's what crew chiefs are, you know, that's what their job is, is to interpret the rules and to try to find every advantage that they possibly can. And, you know, it, a lot of times they're sort of with, by the letter of the rule, that it kind of fits into that, but within this, but it doesn't really fit the spirit of the rule. So, you know, the rule books are a, an interesting thing. I mean, they, you guys, I'm sure you guys are familiar when they evolve. I mean, almost constantly from, from year to year. And, and you just, you could go back through just about every rule book and every form of motorsports, you know, worldwide, whoever writes that rule book has probably got notes in the margin with somebody's name on it. More than likely. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That was the reason that that rule got created or that thing got written out of the rule book or written into the rule book. And I mean, I know I do. I write the rule book for CMRA. I've got notes going back for years and years and years, and they've got names and names and names of people that, well, this one's here because of this guy, and this one's here because of that guy. Is uh, the NASCAR team that uh, that ran the fuel line several laps around the chassis, could they, they could store a couple extra gallons of fuel. Absolutely. And wouldn't yeah. have to stop as often, and they would win races. And then they said, well, it never said how long the fuel line had to be. So, yeah, it's, exactly uh, it's, right. it's all interpretation. Walter, do do I understand you're also, in addition to your uh, U.S.-based activities, you're also an FIM official, licensed official, so that you conduct uh, racing events for the Superbike and MotoGP series when they visit uh, our fair shores? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I, 
I've over for the last several years, I don't even remember how how long ago it was that I actually got that. We we have to go through a class and take a test to get a an FIM official's license, and it's a clerk of the course and a sporting steward's license. It's 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 a it's a requirement to a certain extent to be able to officiate FIM events anywhere that it's an FIM event or. But specifically, when World Superbike and MotoGP visit the U.S., obviously we work in conjunction with Moto America for those events. We usually pick it back as a support class for those. But I've been running, been running race control for MotoGP and World Superbike for um, the last few years. Um, at, at Laguna, when we do World Superbike, I'm the I'm the chief communicator for that, timekeeper, managing their schedule, making sure everything happens to the second of when it's supposed to happen. And then this last MotoGP, I've been doing communicator for like rider recovery and, and uh, moto taxi and that sort of stuff. But this last, the last one that we did um, in 2019, I got moved up to do timekeeping for them as well. So it, it's a pretty tedious. I don't know if you've ever seen the minute by minute schedules for those things, but everything's choreographed to the, to down to the second. I mean, everything has to happen right. I mean, exactly when it's supposed to happen or, you think that you just violated some international law if, you know, <laughs> if it doesn't. Yeah, they're pretty tight on their schedule. It reminds me of you know, road racing outside of, uh, as you mentioned, MotoGP and perhaps World Superbike, not always that perfectly timed, although I think Moto America certainly seems to be aiming for it. But Supercross, man, you, don't, you do not get to play with a schedule in Supercross. I think they are very much the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and a lot of this stuff has to, a lot of that has to do with live TV and, and, and that sort of stuff. And with MotoGP and World Superbike, we're talking about global live TV. So that absolutely is, has to be to to the second. And Supercross as well. I mean, you're fitting in with, you know, satellite upload times and all that kind of stuff. And it's, so it's, it's very, very, uh, very, very on point. With Moto America, it's been a, not quite as hardcore, although this last, our, our season opener at Road America, we were, we were on live TV on a, a number of different different channels, and and so it was. We were trying to make sure we kept everything to the second. So I was actually talking to the guys in the TV truck, you know, and they were, you know, coordinate with them to make sure that our start times were on the money and that sort, of, you know, that sort of thing. From your perspective, what is the biggest? Uh, is there any real difference when you're involved with those FIM events? I mean, beyond the obvious. The rigs are bigger. The riders are more famous, you know, and they're certainly going faster when you're talking about GP bikes. Uh, the the lap times go down. Are there any other big differences? Well, uh, you know, other than a lot of different languages getting spoken in the room, um, you know, it's all it's all basically the same the same thing. It's you know, it's it's a lot of people working really hard to just get motorbikes on a racetrack, you know, and. and so it, it, the spirit of the whole thing is really basically all the same from the club level all the way up to the to the international level. But with you know obviously there there's very real differences in, in the, the level of organization. But but it, it, it's it's all basically the same once you really pull it down to what it's all about, and that's just putting motorcycles on a racetrack. CMRA, that's Colorado Mountain Racing Association. Did I do it right? No, it's, it's a Central Motorcycle Road Racing Association. There we go. I, I knew I'd butcher. I'd have to butcher something every show, so thanks for allowing me that uh, opportunity. <laughs> That's an interesting what, – what all states then – it's central then. So what all states does it cover? 
currently we race in Texas, Louisiana, and Oklahoma. We we have raced in, in Kansas. We're, we're actually looking at possibly going back to, to Kansas to race at Topeka in 2021. And I'm actually starting to work on the scheduling for that is right now. But yeah, we're Right now, we're three states, occasionally four states uh, in the South Central U.S. Yeah, that Topeka course is a really nice course. I've done a couple track days there, and I, I the first time I rode there, I was rather impressed by it. I mean, it's got a lot of elevation. It's a, it's a fun place to ride, and the spectating there would be phenomenal, I would have to think. Yeah, it's a nice facility. It really is. Walter, I'm kind of curious with these uh, with the CMRA, CMRA, the club racing level. Is it uh, how's attendance? Is that affected by COVID, or does are certain controls put in place, or is it pretty much business as usual for you guys? Well, yeah, you know, we, we I'm actually, or not, I'm sitting in a parking lot of a Walmart right off the highway on my way home from our from a, a race weekend. This was our first event back from a shutdown because of COVID-19. We had to cancel two events. We did our season opener in February at the same track down in south of Houston. It was a really good turnout, getting ready to roll into our second event. We were actually at New Orleans. We're halfway through our Friday practice, and the governor of Louisiana shut the state down, basically all large gatherings immediately. So we were standing there with you know, talking to the track manager, and he's like, man, I can't. we're shut down. And so we had to pack up and come home. And that was uh, the next two events ended up getting canceled because of that. We just came back. This is our first event back. Yeah, we, we had a lot of things in place that we had to we had to come up with a plan um, to to deal with social distancing was you know, obviously the primary goal. Certain parts of the facility we had to close up. We had to do registration in a different way, so we didn't have large a lot of people in a room all together. You know, that, well we we weren't requiring masks and all that sort of stuff that was recommended and you know we're we really just told our our folks look you, you guys have you, you got to make decisions for yourself based on what you feel like you need to do nobody's going to laugh at you for wearing a mask and gloves and you know hosing yourself down with hand sanitizer i mean it is what it is i mean this is the new normal so this is what you got to do and and we're going to do what we got to do i mean we're constantly wiping things down and cleaning things up and you know our our staff were doing a really good job of taking care of that and and we just asked people to kind of you know cut a little you know a little extra space between folks we had to cancel our presentations and we have a party on saturday night after the endurance race is over we, we had to forego that for this event hopefully for the next one in, in in a month we'll be able to get back to that sort of stuff but we'll see i think you know people are ready to go racing you know and I think they're they'll they'll they don't mind dealing with that kind of stuff because they want to get back on the track. So yeah, we did have some things in place. It was different than it had a different feel than it normally does, but it is what it is. You've got a big event coming up this weekend. I'm sure you're uh, you're on your way home, and then you're right back out to Wisconsin again, correct? Yeah, yes, sir. I'm 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 going to get back to Waco in about an hour, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna do laundry, and I'm on a plane at nine o'clock in the morning to go to Wisconsin. It started for setup up there and looking forward to that one for sure. Yeah, it's going to be neat having the fans there. It's going to be so well attended. Uh, we're, we're all looking forward to it. Uh, it's one of my favorite tracks to have it again. God, the weather. I'm sure you've been there enough. The weather at the last one was uncharacteristically perfect. And I hope it, I hope it holds for this event as well. 
Yeah, Road America is such a beautiful facility, man. The, the you know the staff there just they work so hard to keep that place, keep that place you know top notch. I mean the, the the campgrounds are great, and that's the best part about it is just it's like it's like a it's like a a park with a racetrack in the middle of it, you know, or going around it. So it's it's really cool, and, and the fans there are just great. I mean the people in town are great. It, it's it's awesome. It, I tell you, it was so strange, you know, being there a few weeks ago with, with no fans. I mean, it was just really weird because you're so used to being seeing those big crowds there. But we're looking forward to having people there again, you know, for this, this next one. It's, it'll be more, it'll feel more like home, you know, with, with the fans there. Absolutely. And Moto America, and, and credit to you, you guys did a great job at the first one. It was the first major sporting event that we talked about and saw and it happened live and i think moto america and everyone involved including you it's just done a really brilliant job of of showing the world quite literally that things can move forward we can keep doing what we want to do know what we're gonna do love to do kudos and hats off to you guys for doing the the brilliant job that you are and representing us uh, so well yeah well, you know it, it- it, it takes a village to make these things happen. You know I mean? And it's, there's, there's so many good people that work so, so hard to, to put these Moto America events together. I mean, all the way from the top with Wayne and, and, and Chuck, I mean, those, those guys are, are just constantly working to, to, to put things together. And Nicole Cox, she works really hard. She's our, our kind of the hub of everything, putting everything together there. Everything has to go through her to, to get it all put together and, all the staff, I mean, they just, just, just really did everything they could to make this thing work. We wanted so badly to be, you know, the, 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 to, to be the first live motorsports, um, you know, but, you know, first thing back on track, you know, after this thing. And, and uh, there was a lot of excitement. I saw that the TV viewership was, was pretty big, even worldwide, because it went out on the European networks and a lot of good, a lot of good reviews on that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, I think it, Maybe if the only silver lining in this this whole COVID mess is that it maybe maybe introduced our sport to some more some people that would normally not ever look at it, you know, being that we were backed up right after NASCAR and that sort of stuff, you know, that or right before NASCAR, I guess that that was people that wouldn't normally see our sport got a chance to see it and say, hey, this is this is pretty cool. So maybe we picked up some new fans in the process. I have to believe so. Again, you're correct. There's a silver lining in uh, in this cloud, and getting to show the world what uh, motorcycle racing is, people who don't get to see it, it's it's a big deal. Uh, the industry is still no one would would uh, call it a healthy industry since about '08, but it is it, it's sticking around and it keeps hopefully growing in the right direction. Right, for sure. I, th- I mean, I think it's, it's slowly kind of on it on its way. I want to tell myself it's slowly on its way back. And, you know, it, it was, there was a time when, you know, road racing was pretty huge in the U S and it, it's on off and that's a sad thing. But, you know, I think, like I said, with, with Wayne, you know, coming in and, and, and Chuck and trying to and putting this thing back together and really, really stepping up the game on, on, you know, the presentation and the organization level of this, it's it's really helping bring people back into it. We got more manufacturers back into it. You know, with Cotty having having bikes on the grid again, that's really good to see. And 
it was just been really good racing all along. Road America was great. I mean, there was some, some, some new faces up there running up front. It was really good to see that. And I think that's going to help, you know, the more, the more we can put that product on in front of people, I think the, the, the more it's going to grow. I mean, it just, it, it, it's just got to happen. Well, we all agree and we are absolutely wishing the best for you and uh, all the series that you are involved with, Walter. We want to say thanks for joining us today. Is there anybody you want to give a shout out to as we're wrapping up our time here on Pit Pass? Well, just, you know, like I, I've said it several times. I mean, you know, Wayne and Chuck for all the hard work, Richard Bonner, the, the partners with, with the Cray Group, with Moto America, those guys have worked so, so hard to, to help grow our sport and, and, and put it back together. And then all the, all the, the club level organizations across the country, you know, the folks with WERA and CCS and uh, AFM out in California, and just, you know, I can't mention them all because there's so many of them, but we're all working so hard to try to try to grow the sport and get people on the grids and that sort of stuff. And, and you can't say enough about those people. Well, right on. Thanks for joining us today on Pit Pass, Walter. And we look forward to seeing you at a race sometime. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. I'd like to thank our guest, Walter Walker, for coming on and talking to us today. And uh, let's get back to the Pit Pass trivia question this week. So as a racer, when transporting our race bikes, we often get the three questions when spotted at a gas station or we're stopped for food. And every racer gets it. What are the three questions? The three questions are, do you race? Where do you race? And how fast does it go? PJ, it's had to happen to you. Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. You're correct. It's funny when we were talking about this question and spitballing about it that, yeah, you can't pull into a gas station with what looks to be a full-on race setup and someone not ask you about it. It's it's a rare day when you're at, at a gas station that someone doesn't ask uh, some version of those three questions. Hey, we, may, we poke fun, but... Uh... Those opportunities when people come up and talk to you about motorcycles and start asking questions, I know this this question more sounds like an annoyance, but it's not. I, I take those opportunities now to, uh, hey, query those people. Maybe they are really interested in motorcycles and, and getting into the sports. So you never know where those conversations could lead. Oh, absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's an opener to talk to someone who's obviously interested, which really is all I need. Do you have an interest in bikes? I do too. Let's We can talk about it as long as you got time. I've got time. So coming up for the weekend, we've got uh, some uh, some big road racing happening. And I, you mentioned it earlier in the show, PJ. You want to talk about? Absolutely. Road America round two, we're going. And it, it's the combo event. It is worth mentioning. It's a combo event. They're doing Vintage Moto Fest as well, which in years past has been a standalone event the following week after a Moto America event up there at Road America. So it's really cool that they've rolled those two together. I've been to the Vintage Moto Fest. You get to see vintage sidecars racing on Road America's race track. It's, the show is amazing. People come out that are in full uh, regalia as far as uh, you know, old school uh, vintage attire as well as vintage bikes. And Milwaukee just sends some of the coolest custom bikes up there. You'll see custom everything rolling around that place this weekend. So I encourage people to get up there. What do we got going in the, the moto world? 
Well, they've uh, officially now announced some outdoor motocross starting uh, July 17th and 18th at Ironman Raceway in Indiana. Look forward to that. I myself plan to attend that one, and I really look forward to it, provided they allow spectators, obviously. But um, can't wait to see the big guys go at it outdoors. That's I love the outdoors. It's my favorite form of motocross, just seeing those guys battle it out for 40-plus minutes in uh, just crazy conditions. So that and the second round is announced for July 24th and 25th at the WW Ranch in Jacksonville, Florida. So we really have just those two events on the pro motocross outdoor calendar tentatively. So I imagine that more rounds they're talking about are going to be developed, but it's uh, it's still in process. Yeah, logistics being what they are. Uh, it may take a minute to get the schedule penciled in, but they are absolutely working in that direction. So we look forward to it. Thank you again to our guest, Walter Walker, for joining us today on Pit Pass, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. If you have a moment, please rate and review us as well. We really appreciate it. We want to know we're talking about what you want to hear about. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, pitpassmoto.com, where you can check out our all-new blog. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave. And I'm PJ. And we'll see you next week. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.